today we're going to continue in 1 John. We're going to have a lot of fun. Um, the prevailing winds of culture blow a steady stream of spiritual but not religious propaganda. So let's start with a few quotes this morning to illustrate that. Some of these will be on the screen. Some of them I want you to just hear. Here's one. For he, referring to Jesus, he was certainly the highest example of one who wished to give everything, asking nothing in return. That sounds right, doesn't it? That Jesus did that. Well, the same person also said this. It was more than I could believe that Jesus was the only incarnate Son of God and that only He who believed in Him would have everlasting life. If God could have sons, all of us were His sons. If Jesus was like God or God Himself, then all men were like God and could be God Himself. This will clarify even further. I may say that I have never been interested in a historical Jesus. I should not care if it was proved by someone that the man called Jesus never lived and that what was narrated in the Gospels was a figment of the writer's imagination. For the Sermon on the Mount would still be true for me. Gandhi wrote that. Now, Gandhi never considered himself a Christian. But he did claim to follow the very heart, the very essence of Jesus' teachings. Here's another quote. Different person. I believe that Jesus' story is first and foremost about the love of God for every single one of us. It's stunning and beautiful and expansive love. It's for everybody everywhere. That's the story for God so loved the world. That's why Jesus came. Again, that sounds right, doesn't it? Doesn't mean sounds spot on. Sounds Christian. But the same person also said this, Jesus is bigger than any one religion. He will always transcend whatever cages and labels are created to contain and name him, especially the one called Christianity. And he's going to define that for us. This kind insists that Jesus is the way but holds tightly to the assumption that the all-embracing, saving love of this particular Jesus the Christ will, of course, include all sorts of unexpected people from across the cultural spectrum. As soon as the door is open to Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, and Baptists from Cleveland, (laughs) many Christians become very uneasy, saying that Jesus doesn't matter anymore, that the cross is irrelevant, it doesn't matter what you believe, and so forth. Not true, absolutely, unequivocally, unadulterably, unadulterably, not true. What Jesus does is declare that he and he alone is saving everybody. So John 3.16 to everyone, regardless of what you believe, you're saved. You will be saved. Rob Bell wrote that. Now, Gandhi never claimed Christianity, and I want to be really clear about that. But Rob Bell does. And he says, the rest of us have messed it up. We've muddied up the message. Take both Gandhi, who didn't claim Christ, and Bell, who does. They both essentially hold to the same view. 
And the view is this. Spiritual things are very important, but holding a particular view of Jesus doesn't really matter. But are Gandhi and Bell right? I suspect if we had the ability to sit down, you and I, over coffee and talk long enough, that what we'd find is a lot of us in the room actually hold the same view. We just haven't articulated it. None of ever consciously sat down and walked through that. Can you have Jesus without a conscious knowledge of his divine life, bloody death, and miraculous resurrection as the only way to the Father? Is there, dare we say, a Christless Christianity? Or to put it in much more simple terms, is truth like Chipotle? Is it cool, hip, healthy? You just point and say, I want that and that and that, none of that and that and that. Does it work that way? Well, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, and we'll find what the scriptures say about this. Last week, our passage in the book of 1 John focused on what might be called the behavior test, if you will. How do we know that we know God? That's an important question. How do we know that we know God? Well, last week, John said, a way you can know that you know God is by looking at your actions. Do you desire to obey God? When you mess up, do you repent and return? Is God transforming your life? Well, if the honest answer to those questions is, by God's grace, I do want to obey Him, then John says, you can have confidence that you're His. Today, what we're going to look at, we might call the belief test. And so everything we're going to say is revolving around this question. Do the beliefs I profess confirm that I know God? Do the beliefs I profess confirm that I know God? Now, by far the dominant idea of truth in Tempe, Arizona, at least when it comes to spirituality, is there isn't any. There isn't a truth or the truth. You have your truth, I have mine. And as long as we don't hurt anybody with our own thoughts about God then that's good enough. So truth then isn't really truth. It's personal preference. It's chipotle. I want beef and that, or that chopped up stuff called tofu, which is actually really good there. And it's the only place I've ever had tofu that didn't taste like toes. You ought to try it if you haven't. <laughs> or chicken. In this type of environment, the worst thing you can possibly do is say to somebody, I love you, and you're wrong. We can't say that, because that isn't truthful. Even if you deeply disagree with somebody, the best thing to do is always to be tolerant. Love wins. But there may be another way of thinking about these things. So our question is, do the beliefs I profess confirm that I know God? Now, before we can actually answer that question, we've got to do a little background work. So um, the linear people in the room, this one's going to be a struggle. I'll just tell you ahead of time. Because what we're going to do is we're going to say, here's John's world in our world, and John's world in our world, and John's world in our world, and then we're going to be done. 
All right? So you've been forewarned. Imagine two groups of people. At one point, both groups sat in the same church. Both were members. Both said they loved Jesus. Both called themselves Christians. Both gave money in the offering. Both went to gospel communities. Both mentored people. Both listened to Air One and posted Christian sayings on Facebook. Both prayed, sung, listened to the same sermons, cared for those in need, indicated they loved the scriptures. They didn't look like two groups at all, actually. They looked like one. But then something happened. Something big happened. That's the kind of church John wrote to. By the time John wrote the letter of 1 John, he's now referring to these two groups as Christian and anti-Christian, as us and them, as deceivers and confessors, as genuine and counterfeit, forgeries and originals. Boy, that sounds arrogant, doesn't it? Like, you you just got uncomfortable because we don't talk that way anymore. It's arrogant unless he's right. John said of one group, where we'll read this today, he uses the phrase, they're not of us. He says, antichrist. He says, liars. Now, surely the people John wrote about must have done something exceptionally terrible to use those kinds of words. Are you with me? I mean, these must have become child molesters, rapists, terrorists, and U of A fans. Right? No, by our standards, it was far, far, far less. Far less severe. Far less severe. All right, look at verse 18 of chapter 2. Children, meaning everybody, not children. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. Now listen to the the way he talks about this. They went out from us, but they're not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. When a large earthquake occurs, aftershocks always follow. Aftershocks are the residual effects of ground stress that are caused by the main earthquake. Anybody ever been in an earthquake? So the massive fears that people have after an earthquake are the aftershocks. The churches John wrote to had experienced an earthquake. A bunch of people who claimed to be Christians walked away. And they said, I still have God but they rejected core tenets of that God. So imagine the the ripple effects. Imagine the aftershocks. God, how can I be sure that I know you? Are you even there? Do you exist? Imagine friends who had helped you learn the Bible, who answered your questions, who prayed with you, who cried with you, who rejoiced with you. People who stood side by side with you, shoulder to shoulder on Sunday morning, singing your great name. Imagine people who helped you make rent when you were behind. They came to see you in the hospital. They came to your wedding and encouraged you when you were discouraged. Hopefully not on the same day. People who sat around the dinner table, 
shared food, loved each other. But then the earthquake came. They left. Not a week. I've gone on vacation. Gone. They didn't leave because God was sending them to Skull Valley. He really does that, by the way. They didn't leave because they were going to go help a new church plant or were moving to some other part of the country. The reason they left is this. They physically deserted the fellowship of Christians because they spiritually denied the faith. So their physical walking out was because spiritually they'd already done so. Now, what's the difference between these two groups of people? One thing. It's a big, scary, frightening word. Doctrine. You can say it with me. Doctrine. Verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing, this is referring to the Holy Spirit, But the anointing that you've received from Him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide, or remain, stay in Him. So one group of people understood, grasped, clung to the doctrinal core of Christianity, Jesus. The other didn't. One group rejected the apostles' teaching about Jesus. The other didn't. One group, by the Holy Spirit's power, affirmed the biblical gospel. The others looked like they did for a while. But then they walked away because they never believed in the first place. So, you confess that Jesus is the Christ. They deny that Jesus is the Christ. You hold to historic, apostolic, biblical Christianity. They claim to love God and have salvation and be headed for heaven, but they say Jesus is not God in the flesh. Now, there's a year's worth of stuff here we could talk about, right? So I hope you brought some food. There's a lot here we could say, but I want to hone in on one particular issue that I think for us helps us grasp what John's actually saying. Because John is like down here and we're way up here saying, there, there, it's truth? What is truth? And John's saying, there's a particular doctrine, truth, that you have to believe. So that's so far away from our cultural context. But there's one thing I think can help us get there. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? On what planet is it appropriate to call them liars? Doesn't that seem really harsh? Like my grandma might say that to somebody, but I don't know anybody else that would talk that way. I'm being serious. 
That is really a hard word. So please listen closely. You see John's world, our world. You still with me? Okay. To deny Jesus as the Christ is not necessarily to say that he didn't exist. It's not to claim that Jesus was a bad guy. It's not to assert that the whole thing is a hoax. It's not to deny that salvation is possible. It's not to reject good morality or ethics or love of neighbor. Right? Gandhi and Bell could check yes on a lot of those things. To deny Jesus is the Christ is to reject the notion that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's very God in flesh. It's to say that Jesus was not eternal God who became flesh and through him alone is salvation. So it's to say things like this. He's a good teacher. He exhibited the best of humanity. He was selfless. He was wise. He was an exceptional man. But nothing more. That's what it it means. So think about this with me. 1 John was written when? In the first century. So that's a long time ago, right? So that was before Islam ever existed, which denies that Jesus is the Christ, God in flesh. That was long before Baha'i existed, which denies that Jesus is God. It's long before the Unitarian Church existed, long before the Mormon Church, long before Gandhi, long before Bell. Friends, we shouldn't be surprised that there's opposition to our faith. It has always been that way. Always. To deny Jesus is the Christ is to say he was significant but not Savior. He's important but not preeminent. He's mighty but not the mighty one. That's the difference. Now, John called them what? Liars. That, maybe it's just my weird brain, but that seems really strange to me. If they were saying Jesus was a good man, God used him. You should follow his teachings. But he's not the Christ. How does that make him a liar? Now, confused, perplexed, incorrect. I get that. But liar? We don't use the word that way. So if a child calls a friend liar, it means something like, you, you, you said I could have that Pokemon card, and now you, you tell me I've got to give it back. Correct? Or if a teacher says to a student, you're lying, then she or he is saying, your dog didn't eat your homework. You're lying. If a policeman pulls you over and you say, Oh, officer, I was going 52. I thought that sign said 52, not 25. I'm sorry. (laughs) The officer says, what? You're lying. So in all those examples, what is lying? It's you know the truth and you purposely say something else. It's intentional deception. That's the way we talk about lying. Liar here can't mean that. Can't mean that. 
doesn't make sense that it would mean that. The average person in Tempe, Arizona might say, you don't believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, the promised Old Testament deliverer and king? You claim him as a good teacher, but not sovereign savior? Interesting. I do. But you have your opinion and I have mine. I respect yours. It's okay you don't like mine. You have your truth. I have my truth. But John would say, liar. Answer your phone, please. (laughs) People who deny that Jesus is the Messiah, very eternal God becoming flesh, living a perfect life that I should have lived and you should have lived, physically dying a death in your place, literally raised to new life to show victory over sin, death, and the devil. People who deny that that's Jesus but still claim to love Jesus, John calls them liars. Does that bug anybody else but me? That's, that we don't say that. That's not the way we talk. How can that be? That drove me nuts all week. It must mean that in some sense they knew the gospel to be true, but they denied it anyway. So, let's think about that together. Uh, A lot of you in the room are fans of the books or the movies, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, right? So when the first one of those came out, which one was it? No, it wasn't Hobbit. The very first one. My parents have this weird thing of like they, on Christmas in the evening, they like to go to a movie. I'm sorry if that offended you because you do that and I said it's weird. But so we went to see this movie and it was really weird. And I was trying and trying and trying to sleep. And (laughs) this thing kept going, And it woke me up over and over, and it bothered, has bothered me ever since. <laughs> Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. Okay, the guy that wrote those was named Tolkien. Tolkien also wrote an essay called On Fairy Stories. It's a little essay about how to write a good story. And in this essay, he calls the gospel a eucatastrophe. Eucatastrophe. Now, I know you used that word this morning, but just in case, here's what it means. U, E-U means good. Catastrophe means bad. Tolkien says the very essence of story is eucatastrophe. Triumph results from defeat. Life arises from death. Beauty emerges from ashes. Pain brings healing. Good trumps evil. Tolkien said that... All of the stories we love are merely tiny echoes of the great eucatastrophe, the gospel. God becomes a man, he dies, and yet his death turns death on its head. His death is the death of death. And his resurrection proves it. Every other story is just a shadow of that reality. Is your brain like exploding? Now, that's deep, so let's come up for air. Kathy Keller uses kids' medicine to help us understand what Tolkien is saying. So those of you in the room that have kids, do you remember those nights of trying to get medicine in the child 
and they don't want the medicine. So Abby had Jill's personality as a, a little kid. Fiery, obstinate. So I remember when Abby, I don't, I don't, I'm not so, how sure how old she was, but she had this medicine that she had to take for ear infection, and she did not want the medicine. And we would physically hold her on the ground, hold her face, God bless her, and pour the medicine in. Guess what she would do? <laughs> now, Kathy Keller says... The little elves of medicine manufacturing have done something fantastic. They've turned that medicine into candy. So the child thinks, I'm getting candy, but the body knows that's medicine. The body can discern the difference and knows what to do with it. The body draws out the truth. That's what Tolkien said. When we take in a good story and we enjoy it, like the Book of Life or Peter Pan, Beauty and the Beast, Tangled, Sleeping Beauty, Lion King. When we watch these stories, our skeptical minds think, candy, but somewhere deep down inside, there's some truth in there. Isn't that fantastic? Stories are not telling us factual history. Sorry to bust your bubble. There's no Rapunzel or Mufasa or Hercules or Luke Skywalker or Sleeping Beauty. But we're cuckoo for those stories. We flock to them. We drink them in. We rejoice in them. Why? The mind thinks candy, but the soul feels truth. They're not factual stories, but they point towards the deep spiritual truths woven into the very fabric of the universe. Now, Tolkien led C.S. Lewis to Christ. C.S. Lewis was a hardened atheist wasn't always the guy that wrote Mere Christianity, Chronicles of Narnia, The Great Divorce. C.S. Lewis wrote something called Myth Became Fact. He said, the heart of historic Christianity is that all the little myths became fact in an actual space-time person named Jesus. So he says, that, what is the deal with the phones? Come on! So Lewis actually came to Christ through the influence of Tolkien telling him, no, all those stories, they're not made up. Yeah, the story isn't true, but there is truth down underneath it. So Lewis talked about good triumphing over evil, victory being found in defeat. What all these little stories tell us is the gospel. Evil loses, God wins. So there, it turns out there is a man on a horse who rides in to rescue you from your enemies. There is a beauty that takes away the ugliness of sin. There is a king who makes everything right in his kingdom. There's a prince whose kiss brings you back from death. There is life that never ends. Everything sad will come untrue. Friends, the great claim of the gospel is that the baby in the manger is not just one more story pointing to some deeper metaphysical thingy. 
It's not that the baby Jesus represents the truth. It's that he is the truth. Jesus doesn't point away to God. He is God. He doesn't represent life. He is life. In the gospel, myth became fact. Jesus is reality. He's the one to which all these stories point without even realizing it. So what have we said today? We're told at every turn that spiritual things are important, but holding a particular view of Jesus doesn't really matter. Really smart, kind, social justice-loving people say that. But the Bible disagrees. The Bible says you can literally know God. And the way you know that you know God is by asking yourself, do the beliefs I profess confirm that I know God? Do I hold to what the scriptures say about Jesus? If so, I know him. You know him. If you profess Jesus, if you name yourself a Christian, but Jesus is not the blazing center of your belief, if Jesus is not the God-man, eternal God, who became a humble man, if he's not Christ, if he's not God, Savior, Lord, King, if you profess Jesus but claim something different, then you're lying to yourself and your eternity is at risk. I was just in Dallas this week with several brothers studying, praying, learning. It was great. And... Someone used a version of this illustration, and it just fits perfectly. So if I called Jill on the phone while I was in Dallas and said, Sweetie, I can't wait to get home and look longingly in your beautiful green eyes and stroke your long blonde hair (laughs) and whisper in your ear, right up next to your earring, I love you. She's not going to be too happy. <laughs> Why? She, she don't have green eyes, she doesn't have blonde hair, and she doesn't have earrings. She's not going to say, Ah, he meant well. <laughs> She's not going to say, Close. Friends, if you say Jesus is is a good teacher, but there's lots of those. Jesus is the one that he's the spiritual leader I'm choosing to follow, but there's lots of those. God is not going to say close enough. He's not going to say you meant well. He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Friends, please don't resist this. Jesus is the Christ. He is God's Son. Salvation is found in Him and in Him alone. There is no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. 
He's ready and willing and able to save today, now. So non-Christians in the room, would you say yes to this good king? He loves you. He gave his life for you. He reigns today. He can be yours. What he asks is that you simply recognize who he is. That you turn from your sin and you turn to him. And Christians in the room, have you, have you unknowingly believed less than what God asks for you? Have you sipped the cultural Kool-Aid? Have you deceived yourself by thinking Jesus was right for you, but somebody else can have some other truth? And is that why you don't share Jesus with your family? Is that why you don't have any lost friends? Is that why you look for joy beyond Jesus? Then repent. Rejoice again in the forgiveness He's given you. And remain. Stay. Sit down in Him. Let me pray. Father, I don't think in all of 1 John there's something that's harder for us to receive than this. We believe we're enlightened people. We believe we're smart. We believe we've moved beyond this silly, uh, Jesus is it. He's exclusive. It's inclusive in that anyone can come, but it's exclusive in that it requires a conscious knowledge of Jesus as God, Savior, Lord, King, to be saved. God, forgive us for our pride. May we receive truth. We invite you to use your word now in our hearts, however you choose. For those among us who have not yet received you, maybe this is the first time they've ever heard the gospel. Or maybe they've heard it for decades. But if we haven't turned from sin and believed in that Christ, we've just deceived ourselves. So Father, in your grace and your mercy, would you... Would you indicate that to the hearts of the people in the room that need to hear that? And Father, I pray they would not fight it. But they'd, they'd get on their knees before you and receive the gift of the gospel. And Father, for those in the room who, who say, yes, I do believe, I, that is what I believe about Jesus, but maybe they've sought that joy somewhere else because the Jesus that they believed is a little bit smaller than the real Jesus. Or maybe unknowingly we've 
taken in cultural view of truth and not received the Scripture's view. Father, I pray they'd feel the full weight of that. That it would feel crushing. Because to make less of Christ is a mockery of Him. And yet, God, I pray they'd then know the tremendous joy and lightness of confessing that to you. And John's already told us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. So God, you're going to forgive that. And Father, may we be a church, may we be a people who don't arrogantly beat this onto others, but by the quality of our community among each other, by the acts of service that we provide to those in our lives that don't know you, by the purity in which we deal with our bodies, by the winsomeness and love in our speech, they would hear and see the true gospel and come to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.